You're listening to Ed Curation, the podcast where teachers talk curriculum. We make it easier for educators to find the resources they need to create fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Welcome to another edition of Ed Curation, where teachers talk curriculum. And I'm so excited today to have Rebecca Sklepovich here on the show. She is the Director of Curriculum and Instruction here in Denver at the Denver School of Science and Technology. Thanks for coming on the show, Rebecca. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, Rebecca, how long have you been working in education? I've been working in education now for 13 years, which feels like a long time and no time at all. So, although you look very young, you're an actual veteran in the field. Yes, I guess I am at this point. Yes, those of us that make it more than, is it five years or seven years, or we we become veterans pretty quickly. What keeps you here for 13 years? What do you like about working in education? Mm -hmm. There are so many things and probably my favorite thing and what I find most motivating and empowering about working in education is giving kids access to opportunity and choice. So in my role as a teacher and now as a coach of teachers, I love having the chance to make sure all students get access to high quality instruction and curriculum that both pushes them and supports them in the right ways. Right, right. That choice piece is huge and that equity and access. And so how do you do that at DSST? In my current role at DSST, I I serve as a director of curriculum and instruction, specifically at our Green Valley Ranch Middle School campus. And I coach and manage 12 teachers. So we partner in decisions on curriculum implementation and execution, as well as classroom instructional practices and analysis of data, all in service of increasing gains, growth, and proficiency for students. And so I think it can be really challenging to provide opportunity to choice and access because we try very diligently and deeply to balance rigor for our kids and make sure that our kids are having access to grade level content and material while also supporting them and providing the right scaffold so that all of our learners are able to find entry points into rich and complex text as well as challenging and rigorous tasks. So it's always a balance between those two fields, rigor and accessibility, but I think we've made strides in doing so. And so what led you to become a curriculum director of this school? Yeah, I think initially I entered the education field because I saw vast inequities within my own school experience. So I attended a very large public high school right outside of Washington, D.C. And some students in my high school received a high quality education and some students didn't have the same opportunities to access really strong courses and curriculum. And some students didn't get the opportunities and access that they deserved. And so in my journey to my current curriculum director role, 
I spent time in the classroom as a secondary humanities teacher. I spent a number of years in the education nonprofit space, partnering with schools around curricular implementation and development. And through all of this work, I was fascinated by how schools made curricular decisions. And I loved the work and partnership that went into helping schools make the best possible decisions for their students and staff. Ultimately, after being in the nonprofit space, I felt a bit disconnected from students directly and from teachers. And so this prompted my desire to return to a school setting and to take on a director of curriculum and instruction role where I could build deep relationships with teachers and kids while at the same time supporting some of those higher level decisions around curricular use and implementation. Are you finding returning to the school site satisfying? I'm finding it incredibly satisfying. And one of the the pieces that feels most satisfying for me is just being able to shape outcomes and trajectories for our kids by putting the best possible curricular and instructional resources in front of them. And I think oftentimes students aren't given grade level resources that set them up for success, not out of any ill intent, but because teachers want to provide those accessibility points for kids and meet kids where they're at. And I was recently reading through a great article that TNTP, the new teacher project put out called the opportunity myth. And it's a study that TNTB conducted where they followed, I believe, 4,000 students in diverse school districts over a number of years. And they offer some pretty stark statistics about the number of grade level assignments and grade level lessons that students in high income schools receive versus students in lower income schools. And so what I find really satisfying about the work is if we give our kids access to the best possible resources, then they'll have the opportunity to catch up with and even exceed their peers in higher income school districts. That's exciting. I mean, it's no small task, right? And so, I mean, what you're talking about is, you know, students needing access to the high quality materials and they need scaffolding so that they can access and be successful with those materials. And then, of course, teachers need to be trained well in how to do this. So how do you go about finding the best resources for your students and teachers at DSST? I usually start off by looking at two different resources online, Ed Reports and then the Louisiana Department of Ed Curricular Reviews. And both of them are independent and unbiased, and they provide pretty thorough analyses of curricular resources. So each one, Ed Reports and then Louisiana Department of Ed, use a key set of criteria to offer guidance around the rigor and accessibility of various curricula. They also allow educators to identify successes and strengths within a curriculum, but the reviews pinpoint very strategically any gaps in curricular materials. So you as an educator know where you might need to supplement and where you can focus time and energy in making modifications. 
Also in finding curricular resources, I try to seek out success stories from fellow educators. So from teachers, from school leaders, asking, is there a curriculum that's worked particularly well in your school or in your district? What growth, what gains have you seen from students as a result of using a specific curriculum or certain curricular resources? And ultimately, I try to find a curriculum that gives kids frequent opportunities to practice with grade level text and task, but also provides entry points such as scaffolds for multilingual learners, connections to the vertical progression of standards across grades. In a reading curriculum, I might look for high quality text, a variety of different texts, strong text dependent questions, and integrated writing. And in a math curriculum, I might look for a focus on grade level standards and coherence. And so what is difficult about this process? One of the the major difficulties that I've found is not all curricula are equally user-friendly. So while some curricula are incredibly strong in their foundational components and have all of the, the right stuff, so to speak, they may take a great deal of time for teachers to customize, for teachers to internalize and personalize. And this can prove really challenging for educators especially educators who have used a specific curriculum for a long period of time and are then making a switch. It's a long process to deeply understand and to make adjustments to an existing curriculum. I think another difficulty is that some curricula have proved cost prohibitive for us. So while they're high quality and would provide some great benefits for teachers and for kids, they may not be affordable within the context of of current budget realities. Sure, sure. You know, I think that's interesting about this user-friendly piece because in my years of working with different curriculum outfits, I have sat in many meetings with tech companies, actually, where the curriculum leadership people have been asking the tech companies can you kind of create a platform where we can easily put in the teacher-facing instructions, the student-facing instructions, and then in the teacher-facing instructions where there can be kind of like little pro tips, if you will, in sections, right? So that, you know, there might be different modifications that are made. You know, it's like, this is one way to roll out this lesson, but you might want to consider this, that, or the other thing, depending on your student population. And there's, you know, no shortage of professional development tips and support that curriculum, good curriculum can be providing teachers. And I haven't seen any sort of technology that makes that whole like learner and teacher interface with tips really easy and user-friendly like you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. So once you've visited Ed Reports and the Louisiana Department of Ed Curriculum Reviews and you've talked to your colleagues that you have around the country and have some ideas about products that you might want to bring into your site, Do you follow a curriculum adoption process? What what happens next? 
Within the particular network of schools that I I work for, so within DSST, there's a great deal of curricular autonomy and flexibility. So each individual school generally selects the curricular resources that we want to use. There isn't a mandate across schools. Our central office provides recommendations and suggestions based on successes they've seen and gains in data, but at the end of the day, each school decides which curricular resources work best for them. So, it generally, the process increases leader and teacher investment in curricular materials because those decisions are being made within the school. And it does give us a chance as a network to explore a variety of different curricula and see what works and learn some best practices from each other if we're trying out different resources. The adoption process that we've tried out with new curricula is usually to pilot within one grade or with one pair of teachers. So last year, for instance, our seventh grade ELA teachers piloted Wit and Wisdom. And we'll go and reflect on the lessons learned from a particular grade and subject area piloting a curriculum to then decide, okay, is this something that we want to do whole school, what were the challenges that we saw, what were the successes that we saw. So it's a fairly independent and autonomous process for us. Did they pilot just a unit of study or the whole semester, whole year? Talk to me about what decisions went into the length of the pilot and the shape of the pilot. So they piloted initially a unit of study and then continued from there with the curriculum. And I think one of the challenges that we saw in the curricular rollout and in full transparency, I used to do some consulting work or contract work with Written Wisdom, which was a wonderful experience Some work with writing middle school curricula. But I think one of the challenges we found was trying to roll out a new curriculum too quickly. And I've often heard that to fully and successfully implement a curriculum, it takes about three to five years, and and it's a lot of work along the way. And so with our seventh grade English teachers last year, I wasn't coaching them directly I did a lot of work with our math and science teachers. So much of the process is what I witnessed and heard about secondhand. But I think despite having really strong teachers and really strong resources, it felt challenging because of the speed at which the curriculum was was rolled out and implemented. So having time to internalize and personalize, I believe, got cut a bit short. So did you end up adopting wit and wisdom? Where where is that at? Yeah, we didn't end up adopting it at our campus full scale or, or, or wholesale, I should say. But it's definitely something that I think we would return to and explore in the future. And I think part of that piece is figuring out in adopting a new curriculum, what are the benchmarks that we want to set in terms of teacher development and teacher understanding of the curriculum. And if we know it's a multi-year process, 
what's the step for year one versus year two versus year three so that teachers don't feel, I would say, overwhelmed by the abundance of resources and practices within a new curriculum. That makes a lot of sense, right? Because inevitably in year one, we're going to feel like failures a little bit. We're going to feel like we didn't do it as well as we could have, that we didn't get to all the pieces that we wanted to get to, that certain parts were rushed or we spent too long on other parts. And and it takes a while for sure. I've heard the same thing about three to five years. And of course, at that point, it's time for folks to be adopting a new curriculum. And so just (laughs) when it's starting to make the difference, tides usually shift. So Is there a particular adoption process in your school that you need to follow or that you've used in a successful adoption in the past that you could tell us about? One process that we're going through right now is with a curriculum, a math curriculum called Illustrative Math from Open Up Resources. And The process that we're using, there's no mandated process for us, but the the process that we've decided to use is to pilot it with our eighth grade math teacher. And then we have two sixth grade teachers who are interested in using the curriculum as well. And we are really excited about adopting some of the resources because we've seen, I think, difficulty in finding math curricula that are user-friendly and that have the right blend of rigor and accessibility. And so we're, we're pretty hopeful that this will be a successful curriculum adoption process. In many cases, the curricula that teachers have used in our math and ELA classrooms are teacher created. So they might be created by the teacher who's teaching the course. They might be created by a different teacher within the network. And that is just incredibly time consuming work for teachers. And it's really difficult work given all of the other responsibilities and demands that are placed on educators. So I'm hopeful that we'll move into a space of using curricular resources that have been created by curricular companies to free up some of that that time and space for our teachers. I appreciate you saying that because it's it's definitely enough work mm-hmm. in a day, week, month, or year to just teach the number of students that are assigned to you as a teacher in your classroom and differentiate instruction for all of them and, and do your best to support each learner individually to help them be successful to, on top of that, also be writing the curriculum and finding the resources, the, the text, the problems for students to be doing. It's just, it's too much. And so it's nice to hear people feel that way as well, because I think what happens in the years that teachers are, are tasked with that is that they're excited about it and they enjoy doing the work, but it takes away from the students in the time that they're focused on, on doing that. And it's a job all of and to itself. So what do you think would make adopting, whether it's illustrative math or wit and wisdom or any other program that DSST, Green Valley Ranch, decides that they need, what do you think would make it the process better or more efficient or more successful in the future? The first thought that comes to mind 
is setting those clear benchmarks for teachers and saying, if we do X, Y, and Z, or if we meet these goals in year one, then we should feel really good and satisfied with our progress. That we can't do it all in year one, but there are some clear prioritized steps and look-fors that we should focus on. And then what does the process look like in year two? What does the process look like in year three? I think that would make the curriculum adoption process feel more efficient, more effective, more feasible. And I know for some schools, the challenge with setting multi-year benchmarks and goals is connected to teacher turnover. Mm -hmm. And I think we're pretty fortunate at DSST Green Valley Ranch to have not only an incredible staff, but a sustained staff who stay in their grades and subject areas for a while. And I think it it would be completely feasible to set multi-year goals. I think for schools where teacher transition and turnover is higher or for schools that are building out their staff or or building out their student body, you could still set those multi-year goals, but just being really intentional in how you frame them for teachers, how you get teachers caught up to speed if they haven't taught the same subject and grade level for multiple years. The other big thing I think of to make the curriculum adoption process better is to provide ongoing development and support around curricular adaptation. How do we build that into our regular structures? Because I've seen instances where curricular resources are introduced at PDs before the school year starts or the very beginning of the school year, and then the adaptation process isn't revisited. Curricular adaptation is done in a a one-and-done way where teachers are left with little support or few opportunities to collaborate throughout the year. So I think building in that regular PD and that regular collaboration around the curriculum is really critical for effective adoption. For sure. For sure. So you shared with us a little bit about piloting wit and wisdom. And you've shared with us that you're starting to pilot illustrative math. Do you have an experience you could talk about, about actually procuring a new curriculum and adopting it that went well for all the information and knowledge that you had in the time? And tell us a little bit about what made that adoption successful. One instance that comes to mind is in actually using some of our network created resources for math. And I think the reason that the process was successful is that there was a lot of teacher investment in the resources because teachers were able to reach out to folks who work at our central office and ask questions and provide feedback and get a lot of clarity and insight into places where there might be gaps or opportunities for improvement in the curriculum. And sometimes with curricular adoption, it can feel like a one-sided process. (laughs) You're receiving the materials and you're receiving the resources, but then 
you don't really get a chance to ask questions or it doesn't feel collaborative or you can't go to the person who created those resources or adjusted those resources and learn about their thought process and learn about the why and the rationale or give them feedback and suggestions in a way that feels feasible and attainable. And so adopting some of the curricular resources from our network, especially for seventh grade math, I felt successful because it was genuine and collaborative and there was the chance for adaptation along the way. Wow, you know, this has been a theme here at Ed Curation on the podcast. There is another teacher who's come on the show in a very different setting than you. He teaches at Brophy College Preparatory at All Boys Jesuit High School in Phoenix. His name is John DeMasso, and he talked about adopting a curriculum tool or resource called Membean, M-E-M-B-E-A-N. It's an ed tech company, and all it does is provide individualized vocabulary instruction for high school students, kind of the college prep level. I can't remember how many words they have. I think it was 2,000, but there's like, let's call it 2,000 membean words. And the students take these kinds of pretests that figures out what words they know and don't know, and then kind of provides individualized instruction for the words that they don't know. These are high frequency, you know, rigorous text, college prep sorts of vocabulary words. And interestingly enough, just in the way it would make sense that in a DSST network for teacher-created resources, that there could be this kind of, you know, whole network collaboration around learning the curriculum tools. But what John was sharing with me about Membean is that even as an ed tech startup company, they were very interested in his feedback mm-hmm. and his students' feedback on the tool. And so they would have actual video, the class would have video calls with the CEO of Membean and talk about how it's going for them and stuff. And John didn't know at the time that he was one of the earlier adopters of the product. So the company was really interested. And, you know, I've worked for companies in the past where the CEO was not interested really in getting in getting user feedback, probably because it's a little overwhelming, right? To think that every idea you have, you know, can force a change in a, in a product or something. But I think whether it's, you know, teacher-created materials in a network or an ed tech startup company, when you can really form relationships with the teachers and students that are learning from these resources, you can improve them continually and make them better and therefore give the users of your product much more buy-in because they feel like they're being heard and and that their experience with the resources matters. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Is there any other curriculum product that is at your school right now that you're really grateful that your teachers and students have that you could tell us about? There are two that come to mind, and one is illustrative math. Really excited about the opportunities that curriculum can afford our teachers and our kids. And then also, we've spent some time looking through resources from Achievement First and have brought some of those resources into our existing curricula and lesson plans. And so both of those are our curriculum products that I'm pretty excited about. What makes these two stand out? I would say 
for illustrative math and, and for Achievement First as well. When I think about the math resources available, there's a lot of attention to conceptual understanding and there's a nice balance between procedural skill and fluency application and deep conceptual foundations for kids. There are also materials that relate concepts at the course level to prior grades. So students see the connections between work that they've done in the past and work that they're currently doing in class. And they see math as more of a narrative. So they get an understanding of how different ideas and concepts build off one another. Within illustrative math too, there are opportunities for students to reason to develop arguments to critique the reasoning and explanation of others. So there's a deep level of critical thinking. And on the more tactical side of things, there are supplemental resources for families and opportunities for kids to do practice outside of school and at home, and some virtual task and online materials that make the curriculum really student-friendly and student-accessible. How do you personally, on behalf of your school, how do you help organize all these resources? Sounds like you're taking a very active approach to pulling different resources for different teachers and grades and students. How do you organize it all? It is tricky, and it's definitely a place where I want to continue to push my own growth and development. We start off with a year-long approach during our preschool in-service training or our before-school teacher development sessions to say, what is your scope and sequence for the year? Let's make sure that we're really clear on the major standards you're covering, the text that you're using, and the junctures at which those standards and text are being taught and assessed and reviewed. And so from there, it's taking a deep dive with teachers into specific unit plans and saying, what are non-negotiables in unit planning? And we are really fortunate to have weekly coaching meetings with our teachers where we can sit down and look at plans and resources and look at data together. So we can say, what are the non-negotiable pieces within our unit plans that then trickle down to our lesson plans? And if a curricular resource or a curriculum doesn't provide those non-negotiables, how are we going to supplement and adjust so those foundations are in place? whether it's complex text, whether the resources and foundations are conceptual understanding-based problems in math, let's make sure that those absolutely necessary pieces are regularly a part of our curriculum. So what's up next for you at DSST? Is there a particular subject area that you're looking for new resources? What curriculum products will you be searching out in 2019-2020? The big one that's on my brain right now is science curriculum. And as the transition to next generation science standards or NGSS continues, We're definitely looking for aligned and rigorous science curricula that will 
both teach great content to our kids, but continue to build their practice with analysis of complex text at the same time. And going online, I feel like there are so many resources available for math and ELA curricula to say, is this a strong curricula? Does this curriculum have gaps? But not nearly as many for science. And science is such a powerful tool and vehicle for our students. That is the next place where I really want to focus time and attention, figuring out what is that just right science curriculum. Well, Rebecca, when we go live this fall, we will share with you all the science curriculum. I would love that. (laughs) We have pooled together here at Ed Curation. You're right, because Ed Reports focuses, if I remember correctly, more on ELA and math. I think they're starting to get into science, but they definitely focus more on ELA and math. So we've been focusing a lot at Ed Curation on STEM curriculum. So science, also the math, technology, and engineering, but also a lot on computer science curriculum because of the new computer science standards that are coming and being published this year. So hopefully we'll have some resources that you can review at Ed Curation and and share with your colleagues and maybe they will make their way into DSST. I hope so. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really excited to meet you and to learn about the work that you're doing at DSST and to learn that teacher turnover is, is not really happening there like it is at other schools. That's such an exciting place to be working. And to hear about this whole idea of setting benchmarks for teacher expectations for years one, two, and three in a new curriculum adoption, I think that's really smart and no one else has really talked about that. And I think that this is something in addition that you're helping me realize that Ed Curation can help our users with is it's not enough just to find the best resource for your particular population, but it's also supporting teachers with this ongoing professional learning that you're talking about, either around the curriculum adaptations, but also about what to expect of ourselves as we're implementing and how to grow that over time and not expect to be able to do it all in the first year. And we can still have a successful adoption by meeting certain benchmarks at different times. So thank you for sharing that with us. Definitely. And thank you so much. It was a real treat to get to talk to you today. Thank you for listening to Ed Curation. We hope you learned something today about a curriculum resource that produces fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Check out edcuration.com to find out more. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com.